Hi, this is Glenn Turner, host of Thinking Through the Bible, a weekly podcast committed to a no-nonsense approach to solid Bible teaching. I invite you to join us in this endeavor to discuss and think our way through the great principles and teachings of Scripture. I hope you will join us every week at this same time, maybe even set a reminder on your devices so you won't miss any of our programs. We've designed this podcast to teach, inspire, and motivate you to move forward in the faith and grow spiritually. I hope you will find this to be the case in your life. If you're in a position where you can take notes of some kind, I want to encourage you to do that and maybe begin to build yourself a small resource that you can review and reflect upon from time to time. I want to welcome you to today's podcast. And having said that, let's get right into today's teaching coming to you straight from the Bible. Hi, this is Glenn. I want to welcome you to uh, today's podcast, and I want to thank you for taking a few minutes of your time uh, today to spend with us. Um, We are completing today our look into the book of Jude, uh, where we have seen that the main theme of the book of Jude is defending the faith. And this is where defending the faith, this is where we get the concept of apologetics. Uh, which is the theological practice of offering a defense of the Christian faith. Uh, Believers need to be prepared. All of us, you, I, all of us need to be prepared to offer uh, this defense as much today as ever before in the history of the church, primarily because of the onslaught against truth. Uh, We have talked about how that this onslaught has come against the church in various ways, Jude's, uh, in the book of Jude, he identified numerous ways that truth became, came under attack during his day, and this is no less true in our culture today. Truth is under attack from false teachers. Um, false teachers may seem like some foreign concept to, to most of us and may sound like a little bit too much of a religious term, uh, so probably to say it in a better way is that there are just people in the church that are teaching things that are not true. Those are false teachers. They're people who are uh, uh, promoting falsehoods or lies, if you will, and uh, they're doing it in the name of the gospel and in the name of Christ, and it's doing harm to uh, the work of the church today. Uh, We've touched, over the last few weeks, we've touched on a few areas where this onslaught is most contentious in our culture, and uh, we're not finished with that. We're going to continue to defend the faith. We're going to continue to identify areas where the church uh, and truth is under uh, assault, and uh, believers cannot, you and I cannot be intimidated by a cancel culture. Uh, and compromise truth or compromise biblical standards. We just cannot do that. It's, it's, it, is a, it is a harm to our own spiritual well-being, and it's a harm uh, to the witness of the church and the witness of truth in our culture today. Last week, we spent a few minutes that we were together talking about the faith, and we sought to define in sh- some short terms, uh, briefly, Uh, sought to define what the faith was that we're contending for. And I won't go through that, but I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that if you missed it and uh, need to reflect on that. Uh, That recording is there for you to go back and listen to. Um, But we cannot afford uh, 
uh, as the body of Christ, as God's people, we cannot afford to compromise truth or, or compromise this standard that the Bible uh, lays out in God's Word. Now, going back weeks and weeks ago, we laid out very carefully and very thoughtfully in, in a well-reasoned approach as to how we determine what those biblical standards are. Through a grammatico-historical method of interpretation, we read the Bible as we would read any other book in its literal sense, uh, where it's meant to be read literally, figuratively, where it's meant to be read figuratively, and it's, it's easy to understand these places and differences uh, throughout the Bible. Um, but uh, we, we must defend the faith. And, and I want to just say personally to each of you as believers, if you consider yourself to be a believer, I, I, I refrain from using the word Christian very much because um, just for various reasons I won't get into. It would take too much of our time. Um, but as believers, uh, if we are going to profess to be a believer or a Christian, then we need to be able to defend and give the reason for the hope that is within us. That's what the Bible teaches in uh, the second book of, uh, of Peter. Uh, so truth is universal. It's unchanging. Uh, it's the same as it was a thousand years ago as it is today. Truth is universal uh, and unchanging, and it's not limited to one generation. Uh, truth is true in every generation, and popular public opinion has nothing to do with determining what truth is. Not now, not ever. Uh, the Bible is God's Word, and the Bible is God's truth, and it does not change to meet generational expectations. Truth's role is not to line up with societal demands. Society is to line up with truth's demands. And um, there's a great conflict in our culture today uh, when it comes to the, these issues. This is the message, these things we're talking about, these things we've mentioned here today. Uh, these are the things that Jude is reminding his readers of in the book of Jude. And he reminded us, uh, as he reminded his readers in exposing false teachers, or just people in general who, in the church, uh, make their way into the church and seek to, uh, to change the truth of God's word and to change the standard that God has outlined in His Word. Uh, Jude exposes these false teachers who he saw invading the community of the church. We need to do the same today. They need to be exposed. Their lies need to be exposed. Their falsehoods need to be exposed. And uh, we need to make it clear what, what truth is, what the standard is, and uh, what God expects in this generation. So Jude denounced false teachers by exposing them. And we need to do that in our culture today to groups and, and to people who are seeking to defame and malign the Word of God. Jude reminded his readers of those who had previously abandoned their position in the faith, acknowledging in this that one may have been apparently faithful at one time in their life. But faith demands an ongoing daily commitment. 
So oftentimes you will hear people say, well, I was baptized when I was 12, or I was baptized at, and you fill in the blank. And so often you will hear uh, people basing their profession of, of faith upon something that happened uh, once upon a time, a long time ago in their life. And, um, and that should be true in some sense in all of our lives. There should be an experience that we can reflect upon and say, this is where I made the decision to become a follower of Christ. It's where I, my life changed on that day at this time. Um, I, uh, but at the same time, we must beware that just saying a prayer, reciting a prayer only, does not make one a believer. It does not make one a Christian. Just reciting some words. That's not it, it, becoming a Christian and a follower of Christ is much more than this. There was a particular um, modern day um, theologian. I, he's not a theologian. He's more of a philosopher, an educator. And I won't call his name right now, but sometime in the future podcast, I may bring him up and talk about him by name some more. But I was listening over the last few days uh, to something he had to say, and he is not a professing believer. But when he, when he came to the subject of talking about Christ, he said it frightened him uh, that the demand that would be upon his life if he became a follower of Christ, that if he genuinely made the commitment to commit his life and heart to Christ, it frightened him, the expectation and the demand that would be placed upon him in becoming a believer. Now, I bring that up only to draw a contrast between that and what most people or many people uh, have as an opinion about becoming a Christian. Oh, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. And I want to tell you, it's not. Becoming a believer, becoming a Christian is not an easy thing. Jesus made it clear that the gate was straight and the, and the way was narrow. And Jesus said, few, that there would be who find it. Because it requires something beyond just a nonchalant attitude of living. God demands something of us. We cannot, and I say this in love without judgment, but I say it because it's truth and it needs to be spoken and it needs to be heard. You cannot live a life of your own selfish desires and be a Christian. It won't work. You must die to yourself and you must live for the purpose of Christ. Now, there are so many ways that that plays out in our lives. And so many aspects of that uh, pertaining to every facet of our life, almost. Our attitude, our desires. I was speaking with uh, someone in my family, uh, a pastor, some weeks ago, and we were talking, and I, I've I made the comment, and I've reflected on it in our con uh, that conversation since then numerous times, but I made the comment that sin in any of our lives, and you trace this and look at it in your own life, any falling away or drifting away from God at any point in our life, in any of our lives, mine included, mine most of all, where we have drifted away from God to any extent, it always began with our appetite. 
the inability to control appetites regarding, and it's not just necessarily pertaining to food, but it is a matter of self-control, which is why certain uh, cultures uh, in their religious experience, especially Christianity and even uh, in, in Judaism, uh, fasting is the self-denial. It is self-denial. It is, deni- it is the denial of, of personal desires, selfish desires. It is the dying to oneself and the yielding uh, to the will of Christ. And we must, on a daily basis, discipline our body. Paul said, uh, if you look at the actual translation of what Paul was talking about in the New Testament, when he said, I bring my body under subjection, the actual translation of that, if you go back and look at the original languages, is he was saying, I beat my body black and blue to bring it under the submission of Christ. And so... uh, for those of you who may be thinking or have, may have been taught this idea that, well, I said a prayer and so I love Jesus and I'm a good person and so I'm on my way to heaven now, that may not be the case in your life. And I want to caution you to stop and think about what the Bible teaches about being a Christian and the standard of morality that God demands from our life as believers. We are His representatives in the earth and there is an expectation of God and from God uh, to how we live. Back when I was younger, people used to call this clothesline preaching, meaning preachers would talk about <laughs> what you wear and uh, the length of your sleeves and, and, and how high your, uh, your collars and your shirts were worn. And uh, That may have been a little extreme in some cases, but I tell you what it did is it, it, is it helped keep people walking a thin line, and, and, and it kept them on a path toward holiness and righteousness, which God demands, something that is not spoken of often in churches today. And I don't want to get off on a soapbox here, but we're on this subject, and I want to deal with this because it's coming from the book of Jude, that we in our culture today, you out there, you especially you of a younger generation, you've not heard the message of the gospel preached in a, in, in, in a manner of holiness, uh, most likely, because that message is not preached today. Uh, you're oftentimes exposed to a self-help gospel, it is a, a word that somebody with a nice haircut and clean look and a great white smile, uh, they tell you how great life is going to be and God's on your side and he's working to make you successful and he's really doing things to make you the winner. And I want to tell you, you're, you're not always going to be the winner. You're not. Uh, Jesus talked about taking up a cross and following him. And he talked about suffering, and the gospel writers spoke of suffering in this life uh, in hope of a crown one day laid up for us in the future. Uh, This self-help gospel that too many people have been exposed to today is a watered-down version of the gospel, and it has no power to transform lives because it's addressing your needs as a human from a secular humanist viewpoint And it does not have the power of the gospel nor the power of God to change lives permanently. That's 
that's the era of the modern-day gospel that is being preached on too many airways and in too many churches today. And it's being done to attract great crowds and take up great offerings, and we're missing the gospel. I can honestly say, from, and I believe this with all of my heart, that if you're, if you're 30 years old or younger, <clears throat> unless you have been involved in a solid Bible-based, Bible-teaching church, you've rarely heard the gospel preached, in my opinion. I may be wrong, but that's an assessment that I make, and I believe I'm accurate in it, based upon what I've seen and heard and been exposed to over the years. Because more increasingly, in the last 25 to 30 years, the church has drifted away from the teaching and preaching of a pure holiness gospel to a, to a gospel of self-help. Let me give you three ways to improve your life. And we're missing the gospel message that the Bible declares and teaches us to adhere to. So Jude was addressing this very same issue. It was something he knew that his readers were exposed to and something that he understood that needed to be addressed in his day. And so Jude reminded the people of his day that he was writing to that there were people who had previously abandoned their position in the faith. Uh, they had acknowledged that one may have been apparently faithful at one time in their life, but they fell away from the gospel. They fell away from the faith. And friend, faith demands an ongoing daily commitment in your life and mine. Let me lay out five things very quick, and this will complete the book of Jude for us, and we're going to run through this very quickly, but I want you to have this good understanding of the book of Jude before we finish. Number one, jot this down if you will, if you're taking notes. Notice the judgment of the unfaithful. And there are three examples, and we've touched on this uh, over the last few weeks for a, a few times in, in some superficial way. But Jude gives three examples of the unfaithful. He said there were Israelites that were delivered out of Egypt, but yet did not make it into the promised land. They experienced the miracle of God's deliverance through the Red Sea and died in the wilderness. They didn't make it into Egypt. Secondly, Jude mentions that there were fallen angels. So there were the, these created beings in heaven existing with God in the very presence of God, serving God. And then the Bible records that there are those that fell from their original estate. And Jude says they are now bound in chains waiting for eternal fire. And then he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns. There were five towns there including Sodom and Gomorrah. Four of them were destroyed uh, because of the sin of homosexuality. So there was a, the Bible says that Sodom was a beautiful place. It was a well-watered plain. It was a wonderful place, but yet God destroyed it with fire. And so there are three examples that Jude gives here of judgment coming upon the unfaithful, warning us that you may be or may have been at one point in your life a person of faith, a person who was committed to the faith, and he warns us that does not matter. It can come to a point where you fall away from the faith 
and you are not found pleasing in the sight of God. He gives three examples there in the Bible to confirm that that can happen. And then he mentions the description of the unfaithful beginning in verses 8 through 10. He calls them dreamers. In verse 8 of the book of Jude, the Bible says, In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and slander celestial beings. So Jude is saying that there are these false teachers that have cited unrealistic visions and special knowledge because they were Gnostics. And remember we said that Gnostics were people who placed high value on knowing and understanding and having special knowledge. And so Jude says that these false teachers have cited unrealistic visions and special knowledge and, and that this knowledge was the height of their spiritual experience, yet their knowledge caused them to pollute their own bodies in verse 8, reject authority, verse 8 says, and slander authority in verse 8. So the description of the unfaithful, Jude is saying, is that there are people who pollute their bodies. Now think about this in our current culture today. They pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and they slander authority. It is nothing to hear, to, uh, to hear in our culture today uh, stories of people just following natural desires and polluting their own bodies, which was exactly what Jude is referring to here with sexual immorality. He's talking about homosexuality, sexual relationships between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And I want to tell you, if you are practicing homosexuality today, you are not born that way. There is not a gene in your body that says that you were born that way. There is no test, no medical experiment that has ever produced any significant evidence or any evidence at all to support the case that you are born as a homosexual. You're not. You're born as a human being that was born in iniquity and shapen in sin. And if you are practicing homosexuality today, you are practicing it because it is your choice. Do yourself and the church and the world a favor and stop trying to use the Bible to justify your sinful, selfish desires and admit that you're just doing it against the will of God and that it is not God's will for your life, but you're going to do it anyway. Just admit that rather than trying to convince people that the Bible supports your lifestyle. It does not. Any intelligent reading whatsoever of the Bible will tell you, in its context, will tell you that God is not in the business of promoting nor of approving homosexuality. That sin is mentioned in the Bible in most cases with adultery and fornication which are also sexual sins. Adultery is sex uh, between married people, uh, people who are married but not married to each other. And fornication is just loose working definitions. And fornication is sex between people who are not married. If you, are, if you are not married and you are having sex, stop telling people you're a Christian. Which goes back a few minutes ago to why I was, I, I, one of my explanations as to why I don't use the word Christian much. I, I, I use the word believer. Because when you profess to be a Christian, you are telling the world, look at me, I'm like Christ. But when you are going to live 
not like Christ, don't tell people you're a Christian. And until you are willing to lay down your selfish desires and take up the cross and live the truth, don't refer to yourself as a Christian. It's a mark against God. Don't do that. I say that to myself and to everyone listening. Homosexuality is a sin. You need to stop practicing it if you are living that lifestyle. Fornication is a sin. It is sin outside of marital bonds. It is wrong. It is a sin. God does not approve of it. And the Bible says that those who live this way will miss eternity with God. Point blank, black and white, it's the simple truth. You cannot change it. The Word of God teaches that. It tells us that. If you are living in adultery, the Bible says this is a sin. Stop practicing that. Stop living that way. Turn your life around. Depend upon God to do that for you. Trust Him to do that for you. And start living a life pleasing to God. This is the simple gospel that Jude was trying to teach here. And he was giving descriptions of the unfaithful. They pollute their own bodies. They reject authority. It's easy and simple to just hear, to, to, to put yourself in most any situation today and you'll find people being willing to tell you, don't you tell me what to do. You're not my boss. You're not going to tell me how to live. You're not going to tell me what's right and wrong for me because what's right and wrong for me may not be right and wrong for you. And you can't tell me how to live. I'm not trying to tell anyone how to live. I'm just telling you what the truth says. The Bible. The Bible teaches truth. And these are truths that the Bible teach that we have just mentioned here. Uh, the description of the unfaithful is that they slander authority. It's nothing to hear people talk today, uh, slander uh, God's people, slander good, honest men of integrity who have lived with truth and, and, and slander them only because these men want to prove of selfish, sinful lifestyles. The Bible says in verse 8 that even Michael the archangel respected Satan enough who was created in, in established authority and that Michael had enough respect for the position of authority that he re even refused to argue against the devil in verse 9 there over the body of Moses. Read that. Look at it more. Get in touch with me if you want to talk about it more. And uh, even though the, 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 when Moses, the burial of Moses' body in Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 through 6, uh, that's the reference there of Michael the archangel combating with uh, the devil over the body of Moses whenever God took him. The Bible says that God buried him. And uh, Michael the archangel had enough respect for the position of authority that the devil was originally created in to not slander him with words even over the debate and the demand for the body of Moses. And so there is the pollution of bodies, the rejection of authority, and the slander of authority. This is the description of unfaithful people. There's also the ignorance of genuine truth. And 
Ignorance of genuine truth often leads to animalistic behavior, which is what Jude says here. It led them to follow their own instinct. Instinct is nothing more than that which comes naturally. And so men were following their natural instinct to follow natural desires. You will oftentimes hear people say, well, I was following my heart. I was following my gut. I was following my heart. I want to tell you what Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says. The heart above all things is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? One of the best things you can do in your life is not follow your heart. It is deceitfully wicked. The best thing you can do is follow the teachings of Scripture. So we've talked about in the last few minutes the judgment of the unfaithful, the description of the unfaithful. Let's talk for a moment about the doom of the unfaithful. Jude mentions here the way of Cain. Cain being a son born of Adam and Eve. And Cain sought self-justification by offering what his hands had produced. Abel, his brother, was a a tender of the flock. And when it came time to make sacrifice, Abel brought an an offering of, of animal sacrifice Cain brought the work of his hands, the ground. He was a gardener, a farmer. And so Cain's offering was what his hands produced. Abel's offering was a blood offering. It was all a foreshadowing and a picturing of one day Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Abel offered the blood sacrifice, which is what God demanded for the penalty of of sin in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He offered his own body and his blood for the remission of sin. Cain is a type of that person who brings with their own hands in their own way an offering that says, I'll give to God what I want him to have. I'll do it my own way. I'll offer him what I can work up with my hands. I'll do this In the words of Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley, I'll do it my way. And God is not accepting of that type of offering. God is not interested in accepting what you can drum up with the work of your hands. And so Jude was making the case here that the doom of the unfaithful is also the way of Cain. It's a a way of self-destruction. He secondly mentions Balaam's era in Numbers 22 verses, uh, Numbers chapters 22 verses 20 through 24. Uh, Balaam uh, is it's described there that Balaam was a prophet and he hired himself out as a prophet. He did it for selfish gain, for money, and this is the epitome of deceit and loving money more than loving God. And so Jude was saying that the doom of the unfaithful is akin to Cain, people like Cain, doing things their own way, making up their own offering, bringing the work of their own hands to to God, and it's unacceptable. He says it's also like Balaam's era, which is deceitfulness and covetousness of money, which is 
which describes the false teachers of his day and also false teachers of our day. Listen, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. Um, I don't mind telling you that. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm very proud of it. Um, I was not raised in a charismatic church, and I do draw a distinction there because there is a distinction there. Um, I was raised in a very holiness, old-time holiness, uh, Pentecostal environment, and... uh, there was this sense of awe, A-W-E, awe, at, uh, at, at, at the experience of, ex, uh, of, of being in church and experiencing and seeing and witnessing the power and presence of God as I have seen displayed in my own life. And I know that there will be some dyed-in-the-wool southern uh, hard Southern Baptist that will, you know, find fault with that, and that's okay. I'm not in the uh, business of trying to justify or or uh, defend necessarily that. Feel as you want to, but my point is this: is that uh, I have seen the good, I've seen the bad, I've seen the ugly, and I have seen in modern day charismatic movement this. Uh, this effort by many famous preachers who would be considered leaders of the charismatic movement today. And um, listen to what I'm saying carefully. I'm not being critical. I'm trying to, uh, to draw out a truth here that all of us would be wise to adhere to this and listen to this. There are many of these men today that are accepting finally and understanding that some of the things that they've been practicing, doing, and demanding of you and us is wrong, and they're apologizing for it. They're turning and repenting from it and, and, and acknowledging that it is wrong. I don't, I, I, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on a limb here, but I'm just going to say it, and if I have to, I'll explain it later. But my point is this, is that there are men who will stand up today and tell you that God told them to tell you to give them $1,000, $1,000 vow. Those same men today, many of them, are standing in the same uh, environment, the pulpit, uh, in, in, front of, in front of great crowds and telling people, hey, I was wrong for doing that. Uh, and it has to do with uh, motivation. Now, that's exactly what Balaam did. Balaam was a prophet who prophesied uh, as a hired hand, as a hired gun, as a hired prophet. And it was the epitome of deceit and the, the epitome of covetousness and loving money more than God. That's a problem in the church today, and it needs to be dealt with. Uh, thirdly, there was Korah's rebellion. Uh, and we're talking about the doom of the unfaithful. Korah's rebellion is just simply this, is that he challenged Moses' authority. Uh, he and his family, two other families, challenged uh, Moses and Aaron's authority as leaders of the nation of Israel. And if you can read in Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, Moses said, get your incense, bring them, and let's offer a burn, a burn incense offering to God, and let's see what God has to say about the matter. Moses uh, basically threw down the gauntlet and said, God's going to decide between me and Aaron and you and uh, Korah, between you and, and, and your family and these other families that are coming up against us. And Moses even said these words, 
that if Korah does not die a natural death, and if the earth opens up and swallows him and destroys him, then let it be known that God chose Moses and Aaron to be leaders in the nation of Israel. The Bible says before he got the words out of his mouth, the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and those families who were in rebellion. They rejected spiritual authority. So the doom of the unfaithful is that they live in the way of Cain, meaning they bring their own good works to God and expect God to accept that as an offering. They live in Balaam's era. They believe that... uh, that money is, has some high priority in the work of God, and they practice deceit. The, the doom of the unfaithful is akin to Korah's rebellion in that they reject authority, they, they mock it, and then they mention Enoch in the time of Enoch, the seventh from Adam, the Bible says, that Enoch prophesied the return of Christ in verse 14 of the book of Jude. And the Bible says there, In verse 14, prophesied about these men, seeing the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so they acknowledge that in Enoch's life, he prophesied that God was coming to, to do two things to judge ungodly acts, and to judge, in verse 15, to judge ungodly words. And so this is the doom of the unfaithful. If you're unfaithful, this is what you have to expect in your life. Then Jude mentions a warning about the unfaithful. Verse 19, listen to what Jude says here. He says, there are men who will divide people. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Think about it for a moment. People would quickly accuse Christians of being divisive in our culture. But let me ask you this question. Who's really being divisive here? It's not Christian. It's not believers. It's not the Christian community. We're declaring the same truth that's been declared for over 2,000 years. The divisiveness is coming in from politically correct voices, politically correct groups, a cancel culture who will shut you down if you do not agree with what they say or how they live. The divisiveness in our culture today is coming from these groups uh, that are targeting truth. They're targeting what has been around for 2,000 years, and they're causing division. And Jude says that these men divide people. But yet, if you listen for just a minute, you'll be led to believe that it's the Christian people and the church who is trying to divide people, simply because we stand on truth and we don't compromise. Jude in verse 19 also says that they're men who follow natural instincts and do not have the Spirit of Christ. The only thing keeping you and me from following natural instincts is discipline. Discipline. 
is something that you and I have to live every day of our life. And regardless of what some of you may think, you need it. We need it in our life. We need it daily in our life in order to live according to the principles of Scripture. It's necessary. If we do not have discipline, then we're going to follow the natural instincts of our body, which lead us in the opposite direction of the Spirit of Christ. And then Jude closes uh, in these final few verses here with the encouragement to the faithful. He mentions the encouragement of the faithful. He says, build up yourself in the most holy faith. We do this, and he goes on and mentions other things here about the encouragement, uh, and I'll give you uh, an opportunity to read that on your own. But to build each other up in the faith, we do this by fellowship with believers, by studying the Word, by making our life uh, exposing our life to the truth of the gospel through Bible study, to listen to, to podcasts, maybe even this one, but certainly others as well, where the gospel is being taught and the word of God is being preached. You do that. Encourage yourself in the faith. Uh, start a small, a, a small circle, a small group of people where you get together once in a while uh, and just, just do things. To, to lift one another up and keep each other encouraged in the faith. Meet for a meal once in a while. Have, have a, a, a coffee meeting once a week or so. But do something to build each other up in the faith and keep, keep each other encouraged in the faith. We've made it through, uh, for such as it is, uh, the, through the book of Jude. I hope you've gained something from this. I want to encourage you to go back through it and read it again, uh, read it often. Uh, next week, we're going to begin uh, laying out uh, some great doctrines of the Christian faith. We're doing this using Jude as a springboard because Jude said to contend for the faith. I'm firmly convinced that people today, for the most part, don't know what the Christian faith is about. And I'm not talking about Catholicism or a particular um, religion or a particular denomination. I'm talking about the gospel, the Bible. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to take several weeks to do this. We're going to talk about the great doctrines of the Bible. If you are a believer, a Christian, or a new convert into the Christian faith, I want you to please make sure you do not miss these. This, if there was one final word that I could offer to my three children, it would be what I'm going to be teaching on in the next few weeks. Because I believe that if you will take what we're going to be teaching on in the next few weeks, as a, and we're using Jude as a springboard to defend the faith, contend for the faith, we can't contend for something that we don't know what it is. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be defining the Christian faith the great doctrines of the Bible, and these are the principles by which your life and mine must be built upon. And I think that they are truths that have not been taught adequately enough in the churches and over the airways, and we're going to do that in the next few weeks. So thank you for your time. We appreciate you being with us and look forward to you being with us next time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.